Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Janice Sinden on the Rider Flex podcast. I am so honored to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I'm delighted to be here. Interesting career. Obviously, you know, yesterday and this morning I was studying your profile and stalking you on social media, trying to find out everything I could about you and looking at your career. So I'm, I'm interested to get into all of it. But before we get into your career and what you're doing now, I want to know about you personally. Like, I, I know you, I think you're a native. I think you're second or third generation type native. I'm fourth right? generation. Fourth it generation. Not. Wow. You so yeah, tell, tell me about your family and your early life. Go for it. Sure. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, my dad and his brothers had a dairy farm in Wellington. And my mom's family is from the Eastern Plains. Um, prior to having the dairy in Wellington, they had it in Steamboat. So we've had um, mountains and plains kind of um, impact here in the agriculture community. And uh, growing up, uh, my dad did a little bit of local rodeo and my mom was really involved with 4-H. And so I came up uh, in an environment where they were really tied to the state and community and we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I grew up with very modest means and um, really wasn't entirely sure how I might go to college and uh, my fifth wow. grade teacher Ralph Ravenschlag um, was one of the most important people in my life and really I talk you'll hear me talk about it I have a collection I think we all collect people in our lives that have had really profound impact on who we are and I would say the first person that I coin in my collection is Ralph Ravenschlag. Cool. And so when I wanted to go to college, I wanted to be a fifth grade teacher. I really wanted to take over his classroom. And he'll think it's so funny because I went to UNC because they had a wonderful teaching school. Mm -hmm. And um, Ralph and I were grading papers. He was about ready to retire. And he looks at me and says, you know, Janice, I think you'd make a great teacher, but I think there's something else. Mm. And you have one of those moments where you're like, uh, what does that mean? But you listen, <laughs> right? You listen to people that care about you. And he, I believe, was right because I ended up pivoting and getting my degree in political science. And right after I graduated, me and my cat got in the car and drove to Washington, D.C. And yeah, I went to work for then, uh, well, he had just been elected to the United States Senate, um, Wayne Allard another very important person in my collection. And I worked for him for four years. And um, I've never been a conservative Republican, um, but I did learn a lot about our country and what I believe in. And um, one of the things that Senator Allard had said to me was, 
I actually don't need you to believe what I believe. I need you to know why you believe what you believe. And that's mm. also been a really anchoring statement for me. So fast forward, I work for him. I have this amazing boyfriend at the time and we pack up our car and move to San Diego, sight unseen. And I worked in healthcare for a couple of years and back to the family farm. My grandparents both um, had passed away um, within a short period of time. So I moved home to sell our family farm and ended up mm. back in Colorado in politics and eventually landed a position with Colorado Concern, which was, um, it's kind of the titans of industry, folks that have a lot of interest in a strong business um, environment. And then I got recruited to be um, Mayor Hancock's chief of staff. And so it was not something I was expecting and I had never worked in municipal government, but um, he and I, um, you know, it was funny. Our brand was, you know, he's a progressive Democrat and I was a moderate Republican and we kind of came together with our different points of view. And um, I, it was one of the funnest, hardest times of my life. And I was his chief of staff for five years. And then I got recruited to do the job I have now, which is be really the first president and CEO of the Denver Center. There had been two mm -hmm. chairs and CEOs. They held a joint leadership role, but this was the time when they were unpacking the organization and putting a chair in place and a president and CEO. And I've been here just over five years and I love every minute of it. Wow, great career. Did you, when you were going to school at UNC, when did you? decide politics though over teaching when 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 your mentor said there's something else for you yeah how did you get how did you get the politics from that yeah and i don't know that i have the exact pathway in my head but uh susan kirkpatrick um was the mayor of fort collins where i lived and so somehow okay. i got connected to susan and she was also in the political science department as a professor at unc so i think I somehow see. that alignment happened and she's a pretty progressive democrat which is interesting because she introduced me to then congressman wayne allard who's a very conservative republican oh so that's how that okay so the, she made that introduction and then you drove out to dc i was wondering i'm like what did you just drive to dc and you're like okay guys i'm here like i, I don't I know anybody <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I got to know him when he was running for office and um, worked on his um, in his Greeley office. And uh, so I spent maybe about a year um, interning with him before I moved out there. Oh, so, he was a senator. OK, he was a senator from Colorado. And that, yeah, he was okay, a got it. Yep, he was a congressman for the fourth congressional district and got elected to United States Senate. So he had just gotten elected to the United States Senate. And then I traveled out to Washington with McCat. And he was a Democrat. He's a Republican. Oh, he was a Republican. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. All right. All right. And then you moved to, you moved to DC and you lived in DC for what? How many years? I was there for two years and then I came back and managed nine counties for the senator here in Colorado and helped okay. manage okay. the cleanup and closure of Rocky Flats. Did you did you did you like DC? Did you like living there? I loved it. I Did really you? loved it. Oh yeah. It's not the same mm -hmm. anymore. I still mm -hmm. go out there pretty frequently, but I had a amazing experience it was a different okay. time yeah it was a different uh, time okay and then when did the boyfriend come into play did you meet him in dc and then you came back no, i met him at a bar in denver um okay. and <laughs> we right. got into a tiff over a song who wrote the song he was right i was wrong and then that turned into you yeah. know this and then what you you at some point you and him were like hey let's go to California like live on the live in a hut near the beach or what what was That's that plan literally what it was it was that <laughs> like neither of us had ever been there and we're like yeah we think we should move but, to San Diego but, it, but you didn't know what you wanted to do you're like right, let's just go let's just move out there 
Yeah. And then I ended up getting this job doing community relations in a community I'd never lived in because I'm like, I've never met a stranger, Steve. I've okay. never. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got uh, this amazing job and I'd start, I, I might still be in San Diego, but our family matters brought me back to Colorado and I left the boyfriend in San Diego. So, oh, you know, I see. Okay. Yeah. So, so, all right. So that's what happened. The boyfriend got left there. You came back to the family. Now, why didn't you, why didn't, did you have any siblings? I have a brother, Luke, and okay. he lives in Fort Collins, Loveland. Okay. Yeah. Why didn't Why didn't you and your brother just take over the farm? Like, why not Why not continue the operation? Ah, so you know, um, I don't think it was in my plan. I am a pretty social person by nature, and have always found myself in large right. environments, busy environments, <laughs> and you know, farming is very isolated, and it's a twenty four hour a day, seven day a week job, yeah. and. Not that I don't um, appreciate hard work, but that's um, a very uh, prescriptive lifestyle. And it just wasn't something that either my brother and I really wanted to pursue. So it's a tragedy in some regards because it was the end of um, many, many generations of farming. Was your dad when you were young, was your dad, mom and dad like, hey, we need like, hey, come help us on the farm. Like we need help over here. Not so much. No, no? no? I mean, they okay. kind of, I think they saw the wind down happening. So yeah. And if, and and the, and I'm guessing the family farm was not worth a billion dollars or you would be retired right now and just being philan philanthropy or whatever. Mom and right? My uncle did pretty well though. I will tell you. Oh, I think okay. that they have made really smart choices. My mom and my brother have a um, real estate investment um, uh, business. And so, mm -hmm. you know, but I I'm over here doing my nonprofit arts work and I love it. <laughs> it fits me well. <laughs> okay, so I, I so all right, all right, I got it. So let me let me ask you this. So you are you married now? No, I am not married. No, and no, I don't no. Have children. And you don't have to. Okay, all right. No boyfriends. You don't want to no. share any likes. You don't want to share any social stuff with the audience. You don't want to tell them all about your social life. So. No, I have a kind of a man team, Steve. I have lots of men in my life, <laughs> but I don't really require any one person to um, fill all of those. Um, those. You got any pets? You got any pets? I have two cats. Oh, I just said that. One just passed away. I have one cat now. I'm a one cat family. <laughs> he weighs okay. 23 pounds. I found okay. him downtown. He's the king of the house now. So what do you do? What's your, what are your hobbies outside of work? Like, what do you, what can we find Janice doing besides working and playing with a cat? I'm on way too many boards. Um, I, I saw that. I saw I that. Know, you're, yeah. It's a lot, but it really fills my cup. I love the, you know, from the judicial nominating commission to the Denver preschool program. I'm board chair of visit Denver. I'm on the UNC board, the American transplant foundation, like just lots and lots of causes, um, you know, really fill me up. And so um, I, you know, I like to ski. I'm back into golfing a little bit. I love to travel, but um, mostly civic, uh, responsibility is where I'll put my time. You forgot to say you like to exercise and stay in shape because you're obviously in great shape. I saw the video of you dancing, uh, some, some dancing, dancing with Leo Denver Parker stars. Robinson dance. Yeah, every <laughs> year she picks a group of folks, and um, it was one of the funnest and scariest things I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was your mom and dad social and involved in all these committees and volunteering? All did you like? Where did that come from? I am my mother's daughter for sure. Um, my dad is more introverted and I think farming and that kind of work really fit him. But my mom is much like me. Um, she has a big house and she loves to have parties and welcome community. Okay. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So I think okay. I'm uh, 
Yeah. And she's still she's still alive, healthy, and doing well. She was at my house this weekend with my niece and nephew. We did all sorts of fun things. Very busy people. Yes. Is she is she like Janice? I'm ready for you to get married now. I want grandchildren. Like, come on, man. I think what, she understood, and my brother's feeling that for her. She oh, gets okay. All the love from my ten year old nephew mm. and my five year old niece. I bet your dad is a is a character. If you get him talking, right? He's he's, he's an introvert, but. If yeah. you get a couple of beers in him, will he will he open up a little? Yeah, he he has strong points of view for sure. <laughs> uh, was he yeah. is he is he is he uh, liberal or conservative? Well, you know, it's funny because he used to be really conservative, and I think he had a weird moment when I went from working for from for a conservative Republican to a progressive Democrat. He paused right. for a minute and was like, "What just happened here?" And <laughs> I'm I'm kind of politically ambidextrous. I look at people and issues, mm. and I don't necessarily mm. subscribe to a point of view in politics. And so I think that my father has over time come to align with that. That he, you know, he really is more open-minded and open-hearted than he probably was when he was young so now see isn't it interesting when i first glanced at your profile before i dug in a little like uh, you know you know how people these days like everybody's like oh this person and then they look them up on linkedin and they glance at the profile for 30 seconds and make a couple of judgments right that's, uh -huh. what, that's what everybody does right <laughs> and when i saw you work for hancock you know mayor hancock i'm like okay well she's just lifelong liberal you know democrat like I, that was just my immediate assumption yeah, no, I was a Republican until um, almost two years ago, and I'm unaffiliated now. But even when I worked with the mayor, um, he and I had a lot of really different points of view, but we also had such a um, important uh, relationship built on trust that I could share a different point of view. And of course, he was the elected official, so he um, would always have the final say, but he really appreciated input. And I cherish that opportunity to have worked for somebody that is the leader of this amazing city. And um, he cared deeply about my point of view. And I think I helped him. That's pretty that awesome. I, I really like that about you. Unaffiliated. I'm going to start using that. I, I just that I'm taking that. I'm stealing that. I like that. You know, it, I, you know why I like that so much is because I'll say some things that uh, that probably fit on the conservative side, and then I'll say other things that fit on the liberal side. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I kind of I kind of see myself on both sides often, depending on whatever the topic is, right? And uh, I like that unaffiliated. I'm a, that's me. That's unaffiliated. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Now you can't you can't do that, Janice, if you eventually decide to run for mayor, which it looks like. That that's what your profile looks like. I'm like, okay, she's she's positioning herself to run for something. That's what, that's my uh, that's my other assumption when I look at your profile. Yeah. Is that right? Am I right about that? I don't know. It's so funny because I have always um, really supported folks that have held office and not really thought about it until recently. And I have had a number of folks that have said, would you um, run Ooh. for mayor or another, you know, office? And um, right now I love where I am, but I'm going to tell you, if I run eventually, you're hearing it here now, um, it will probably be the last thing I do. When, when I believe you run for office, at least from my point of view, I wanna be able to run on the issues and not be worried about what I might be doing afterwards. And I'm not saying that always happens, but I, I think see. a lot of times if you run early enough in your career, you have to have mm. another career after that. And mm. some of the tough decisions you may have had to make um, can impact um, what, what happens after. And there's a wonderful mm. state Senator, um, Nancy 
Spence um, years ago. She was a school teacher. And at, when she retired from being a teacher, she knew she wanted to run in the legislature and work hard on education issues. And she didn't want to have to worry about what she said or how she got there. She knew what her issues were. So Nancy has always kind of been a, a mentor in my mind about run when you're done and when um, that's what your cause is. So stay tuned. I'll let you know if I decide. I know, you know, this is going to be great because a few years from now, I can pull up this podcast and say, I interviewed the governor, the governor of Colorado, Janice Sendon. This is me and her talking before she was governor. I'm going to save this. And then, and then I'm going to be like, Jan, I'm going to be like, Janice, I know that now that you're governor of Colorado, you need like a recruiting firm to help you fill all these positions. So Riderflex obviously gets the nod because you were on the podcast, right? I mean, come there on. There you go. I love it. It's a partnership <laughs> in the future, for sure. Uh, your, your profile definitely is set up to do something in politics. And I, and I saw, uh, you know, something further, something you've already done politics, but mm -hmm. something further. And I was, as I was looking, I'm like, okay, what, what, what's the plan here? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now, what are the skeletons, Janice? I mean, obviously, if you go into politics, they're going to like, mm -hmm. they're going to, they're going to, they're going to stick a microscope down your throat and look at yeah. all of your previous sins. And in today's world, <clears throat> you can't hide any of them. Like they're going to find them, right? Like if you, yeah. if you were at a party and you ripped off your top or did something crazy <laughs> back in, you know, 1995, like they're going to find it. Right. So yeah. So what's do you want to go ahead and confess on anything right now? And just no, I really there? don't. I will tell you though that the the hard the trickiest one though for me honestly is that um, having been in the Republican Party and still caring so much about you know um, that particular party and values, but also having worked for the mayor, I, I, it is tricky when, you know, I, you may remember many, many years ago, there was a United States Senator named Ben Nighthorse Campbell, and he changed parties here. I unaffiliated, but I think that that can be a little bit tricky is, you know, but your politics change in your life and, and the issues and um, other folks that represent party philosophy and things like that. So, so there's that. I mean, listen, um, I, I am a product of the 90s and um, I kind of have a mantra, I'll try anything once. I've jumped out of planes, I hiked Kilimanjaro, um, I've done lots of really fun things, I've been all over the world um, and, uh, you know, I... You skipped, you skipped, you skipped the part about the partying and the drugs and the... I and the, well, you, you know, you, you I, just, I was a, a young person um, and <laughs> I... I have a free Colorado spirit, and that's about as far as you're getting. Man, you're you're political, <laughs> you're smooth answers. You're already getting good at that, man. You can Thanks. tell you're like, wow, that's that's pretty. I liked how you just kind of, yeah, that was that was you. You're you're right there, Janice. That's a good answer. I like that. One. Good. I like I like that one. I you know people ask me stuff, I just confess all the time because I'm not. Oh, gonna, do you? I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm not going to run for politics. I'm just. <laughs> you want to know what happened? I'll tell you. You'll just, yeah, unfiltered. That's right. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 54, so I don't, mm -hmm. it is what it is. <laughs> That's right. I get that. Yeah. And how much our state has changed. We're, we're pretty tolerant and open-minded in Colorado. You got that right. Uh, by the way, you know, you were mentioning this, this idea of, I think what, what I heard you say was if you ever decide to run for politics, if you run on the liberal side, they might beat you up because you used to be on the conservative side. I think that's kind of what I heard you say. Right. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that we live in this world where it has to be blue or red? Mm -hmm. why, why can't it be like 
yellow or orange or, right. or, yeah. or green? Like why, why, why does it, why does, why are we in this world? I'd like for you to speak on this topic a little bit. Why are we in this world where so many people, not everybody, so many people, they're on this side of a topic mm-hmm. and they want to demonize anybody that's on this other side. Like, like, why does it have to be like that? Like, can't we be a little bit gray? Like, I mean, what can't we just <laughs> t- t- talk to me? Yeah. And I think that being, you know, um, a bicameral system, we kind of have two chambers, right? We have um, at the local level um, in our state legislature, our general assembly, as well as in Congress, you know, you have um, these, these party politics and you caucus you know, with your Republican partners or your Democrat partners. And if you're independent or unaffiliated, either you're left in the hallway, you know, so you're not in <laughs> with the Democrats caucusing or you're not in with the Republicans caucusing. And you're you're in like, the- hey, I, I'm over here. I'm over right? here. <laughs> yeah, you're not in one of the big rooms where it's happening, you know, and so I mm. think it makes it very uh, isolating mm. for folks mm. to yes. uh, really try to see what the middle looks like. And then when you run, um, you're, you know, we have, uh, you know, so much need for campaign finance reform and disclosure and transparency and elections, um, which I think makes it really hard, um, because if you don't align with your party base, you can often be, um, you know, coined as a person that believes something. And I'll tell you, there's a group called Unite America, which is really trying to figure out the middle. And I was invited recently to a dinner with Senator Lisa Murkowski mm. from Alaska, mm. who is kind of the um, among the six Senate Republicans that have um, leaned towards the middle, that haven't mm. always aligned with their caucus. And she's really struggling. And she was beautiful in what she said, and she cares deeply about our country. Um, but it's it's often hard to navigate if you aren't, you know, um, dead center in the Republican Party. And I think that it's the same with Democrats. And so, um, you know, we're just going to see how things will shift and change over time. And mm-hmm. to your point, we have become very divisive as a country. Yeah, it feels and- that way. Yeah, and I think that the political pundits also exacerbated. They love throwing, you know, fuel on the flames to keep people fighting. It's like, you know, the Raiders and the Broncos, you know, it's like we love the clash. And so it it keeps us inspired or something, but I don't think it does. I think at this point, it's um, the, you know, the confidence in our elected leadership is probably at an all-time low. And that makes Bad. so you know um the pendulum swings so we'll just hope that we come back more towards collaboration. i've had i've had lots of people on the podcast lately that mm-hmm. you know are saying some of the things that you're mentioning there uh i i do think i do think the general public is picking up on and is smart enough to understand starting to get smart enough to understand that the social media platforms are are after eyeballs and attention and eyeballs and attention usually happen happen if they're forcing people to argue and be mad at each other and fight because that's attractive to people kind of like action movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think people are picking up. I think people are starting to understand like, wait a minute. Okay. This, this stuff that's hitting my feed is, is just, it's trying to spark me. Like it's wanting me to be, you know, and, 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 I, 
And I, and I think people, I think people are picking up on that. I think people are starting to understand. It was so fascinating. So <clears throat> I have this, by the way, I have friends that are liberal and conservative. Like I, I really don't give it. I really don't give a shit quite frankly, what, 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 what you are. I, I just, I'm open-minded to all conversation. Right. Anyway, I had this friend of mine uh, that I was visiting with and uh, super liberal, super liberal guy. Well, anyway, another friend joins us. We're having some beers and this other guy is super conservative. It was fascinating to pull up the feed on their phone. So we did a little test where mm -hmm. we looked at Facebook, we had TikTok and we were scanning their feeds. Mm -hmm. It was completely two totally different worlds. Like the, this feed was just hitting this guy with this stuff to enrage him about the other side. And the other feed was doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the feeds I felt like were designed to make you think everybody feels like I feel right. and boy, and then boy, if you don't feel like I feel like there's something wrong with you, like you're crazy That's or you're right. evil or you're whatever. And, and I, I think more people are starting to understand that, that social media is pushing us that way. And it, and it doesn't have to be like that. It, it doesn't have to be, it really doesn't have to be like that. I do think more people can be in the middle, just like you're talking about, by the way, I think I've seen some clips of the Alaska, uh, uh, governor, right? You what, what's her name? Um, Lisa Murkowski. She's the Senator. One of the senators. Yeah. She's marvelous. I think I've seen her. I think I've seen mm -hmm. her. So yeah. I, I like that. I like that idea. Cause I feel like, I feel like I'm like that. I, I, I feel like I'm often kind of in the middle and you know, then people look at you like, what's wrong with you? You got it. You got it. You got it. You have to pick, yeah, you have to pick a side. Uh -huh. And I'm always like, I'm always like this. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, in Colorado is, you know, really, it, we have shifted. We're a third Republican, a third independent, and we're a third Democrat. And I think that that speaks to the shift that people aren't always feeling that the party reflects their points of view. Um, and so it's interesting that we've shifted so much. I know. Right. Uh, I know I could talk to you about the politics for another hour, but I want to talk. I want to get into the DCPA, obviously. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about politics because I knew when I was watching your profile, like I'm talking to the 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 future mayor of Colorado. I know. You're I'm going funny. I don't know about that. We'll uh, see. You we'll have see. it. You have it. You have the whole package. You got you, you, you got the presentation. You got the smile. You got the background. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just like, I just want to, I just want to know, you haven't told me anything crazy yet. I got to get something like you got to, I mean, you can't be like this perfect no, robot who was just volunteered and you've done all the right things. I mean, there's, there's got to be something in there where you're like, okay, I fucked this up one time. And one time I did this. You, you never been arrested or anything? No, I've not been arrested. Jesus. Okay. That's, there's nothing fun in there. You, you got, no. well, the only thing, the only thing you've done crazy that you've told me is you got in a car one time and drove to San Diego with no plan. <laughs> I, that was pretty radical for me. It was, uh, uh, um, my family's like, you're doing what with who? And I'm like, yeah, this is happening. And, you know, to have like a hundred dollars in your bank account, like, I'm just going to a wing and a prayer. I'm just going to drive to San Diego. And it's all going to work out. And it really did, you know, but that's pretty, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. I want you to give me, uh, uh, when you talk, give me the DCPA overview. And if you don't mind, give me the overview, like you're talking to 
some of the blue collar farmers up in Greeley who they're like DCPA, like what the hell is that? Like, I don't even know what that is. Sure. <laughs> give give, give the I... commoner, give the commoner overview. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we are on a 12 acre arts complex in the city and county of Denver. And um, there's often confusion about uh, who all is on the arts complex. We are the live theater portion. There is a separate organization that is the opera. There's a separate organization that is the symphony. And there is a separate organization that is the ballet. We all share theaters, but we are the live theater. So we have everything from Hamilton in the 2800 seat Buell house to um, uh, Virginia Wolf, which will be in the Kilstrom theater, which is a 380 seat theater. So we have um, straight plays and musicals. Um, we bring in um, the road shows from Broadway. We do about 30 weeks of Broadway shows, so Wicked, we have The Lion King in December, like I said, Hamilton, Moulin Rouge, um, Kinky Boots, mm -hmm. like you think of your big Broadway musicals and uh, as well as To Kill a Mockingbird and um, some of the straight plays. And then we have a producing side. Um, so in total, we're in eight theaters. Uh, so we sell anywhere between 800 and a million tickets a year, depending on um, the shows that we have coming through and whatnot. And then we have um, an events business. Uh, we have a, a large ballroom um, that is called the Sewell Ballroom. And we do anywhere from 150 to 200 events in there. And then we have a wonderful education and community engagement program. So we welcome students of all ages. Um, the year before COVID, we had seen just over 150,000 students from across the region that really wow. come in and they take education programs. They go to student matinees. Um, we also deploy our teaching artists into classrooms to bring um, arts and culture into their schools. And so we have a, a very strong reach into community. So that's mm. us in a nutshell. And and do you uh, help me understand now the the buildings the properties is that owned by uh, so, something something called Arts and Venues of Denver like yeah, who, owns the, who owns the building okay so the city actually owns the venues um, and we lease them or one building in particular it's like we're the we're the only tenant in it so we have full maintenance responsibility and whatnot but the easiest way to say it is the city owns the buildings and we're a tenant just like I see. Yeah. You're a, you're a tenant and you're and you're an events and marketing company that brings in all the stuff. Basically. That's exactly right. So in um, pre-COVID times, we'd be as many as 300 people on staff. Wow. And then on our producing side, we'll bring in um, about a thousand actors throughout the year. And then I couldn't even tell you how many folks come in with Broadway. Um, many, mm. many, many hundreds of people come through. So we got, are, how many people on your team right now? Um, we're, we're building back, you know, the hardest part was that when, um, we shut down on March 13th, we, uh, furloughed 130 employees and most of them are coming back, but we're hiring back. And a lot of folks couldn't wait this long. So they have moved on to other careers or other organizations. We ended 96 contracts and we eliminated about 40 positions. So when we come back, I will have more than 120 new people. And that's a lot of institutional knowledge that we lost 
lost and my heart breaks um, for that. But, you know, we're super excited to welcome a lot of new team members. And um, we have our first show coming back in October. Um, it's a cabaret show called Improvise Shakespeare. Um, and then we, we, we tried a bunch of creative things. I mean, we just had Van Gogh Alive out at Stanley Marketplace and we'll welcome about 80,000 people that came through that. So even okay. though that isn't what we traditionally do, I think COVID gave us an opportunity to try some different things and we saw really great success with it. So, nice. uh, so we'll okay. do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Very good. How does, how do you, <clears throat> excuse me. I know you, I know you're a nonprofit, but how do you make money? Do you have to raise funds or your, yeah. your, your cash flow? positive just based on ticket sales how's the how's the money part work talk to me about that yep so our earned income is um generated a couple of different ways through our events business which i mentioned in the soul ballroom as well as through broadway broadway is really the um, line of our programming that generates a, um, a lot of income to support our mission-driven work um, of live theater and then we have a strong contributed income um, stream so we have not only in-kind partners but a lot of philanthropic and corporate partners that um, invest in our mission and then we're also the beneficiary of the SCFD tax, which is collected in the seven county metro area. Ah. And we get about $7 million a year from that, that tax. And so um, it's, a, it's a balance of all of it. SCFD, contributed income and earned income. And so mm. that really makes uh, the DCPA thrive. How much of your job is raising funds and talking to donors? It's mm, a great question. And because of COVID for the last 19 months, I had been the head of our development department in addition to being CEO. Mm. Um, and we just hired a wonderful leader from Atlanta who just joined us this summer. So um, that's great. But also because we just invested about $54 million in renovations of a couple of our theaters, I spent a lot of time raising capital campaign dollars. And we've got about $1.4 million to go. And we're hoping we'll have that paid off by the end of the year so it's we saw tremendous support from community um, but a large part of my job is um, building confidence and excitement with donors to support our mission what's it like to sit across from a billionaire at a restaurant and ask him to write a check what's that like <laughs> it's exciting you know <laughs> i'm you're actually sitting there making the ask it means that they really want this partnership they care deeply about what we're doing and so when when someone says um tell me what i can do i always come prepared with a list Ooh. you know and it's right. really exciting Ooh. and then how do you help them be a sustainer donor so that they want to support programming and the mission for a long time so it takes um, a lot of cultivation and trust um, for people to invest in what you do you are you are polished with these answers janice i'm super <laughs> impressed you must so you know every rich person in town basically rich person. Um, I know many and, you know, it really, it takes um, a passion for live theater and for arts and culture in general to really um, decide mm -hmm. this is what you want to support. I mean, there's so many needs. We know this, there's mental health and addiction and homelessness and, you know, youth programs and education and all sorts of things that people can put their money in. And um, I love it when people say, and arts and culture is woven through the fabric of our community and you know people want to live here because uh, they know that we have theater and we have museums and we have these amazing assets uh, that enliven and enrich our lives so um and 
it's not for every donor. It just, it really isn't. And that's okay too, you know? What are you doing on COVID with these, uh, with these new events that you have planned on the calendar? I mean, are you going to, you know, now we're going to ease, now we're going to ease into another sensitive topic. What are you, what are you doing on COVID? What are you, what are you do, telling your workers? What are you going to tell your guests? What's, what are the rules? Thank you for that question. And it's an important one because it'll be, you know, really 20 months without shows on our stages. Wow. Um, and that's wow. a really, really long time. Wow. And heartbreaking for our artists, um, for our professionals. For yes. our so yes. we're taking every precaution to make sure that people feel comfortable coming back. And so um, we were um, really uh excited to be part of a national effort to survey audiences to help make sure that when we come back that we are doing everything we can to ensure we are responding to audience demand. So um, our survey data um, over the last 18 months told us that um, more than 90% of our patrons said, please put policies in place that will ensure that people are um, protected. And so we first did you, announced- did you, did you run that survey in Weld County? Um, we ran it by, haha, we ran it in by our subscribers. And so we have okay. subscribers in Weld County and they had the opportunity um, to, uh, to uh, participate. Um, but I would say we first started with our staff. And so we rolled out a vaccination requirement for staff and it has been incredibly well received. And so um, October 1st, um, everyone on our team will be vaccinated. And did you have anybody, did you have anybody, did you have anybody quit? Did you have anybody um, say no? I, we haven't I had anybody it. leave. What we have mm. experienced is some folks with either medical conditions or a strongly held religious belief. And so we have a process to work with them. And mm. we're trying to be as creative in making sure that we're taking care of folks in any way that we can. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, the four resident companies of the arts complex, again, symphony, opera, ballet, and theater, we stood together and said we wanted to have one policy that applies to all the theaters. So we're requiring vaccination and masking for guests that are um, in person at a seated ticketed public event. And so if you're going to see the Lion King, you're going to have to prove your vaccination and you're going to have to wear a mask in the theater. And there's been some folks that have been disappointed or even angry about the policy. And what we're doing is saying we understand. But again, I'll remind you, we haven't had shows on our stages for 20 months and um, that we're going to be really conservative about our health and safety protocols for the foreseeable future. And then as we learn more about how that impacts um, audience participation, and following all the um, the uh, uh, the rates of um, people being sick, uh, then we'll decide when and how we can roll those back over time. So that's the that's the plan right now. And um, and we also took food and beverage out of the halls, which is another way to keep people's mask up. You know, if you buy your popcorn and you get your glass of wine, you know, and you go into your seat, people would naturally take their mask off and lick their fingers and touch their armrests and all the things. And so that just didn't feel um, responsible. And so we have made the decision. Um, you can have food and beverage in the lobby before, during intermission or after, but just not in the hall. And so that'll, it's a lost revenue for us too. We sell a lot of, a lot of food and beverage, but it feels uh, irresponsible right now to have that in the hall. So. I see. Okay. Very good. 
Well, thank you for sharing all of that and telling the audience, uh, you know, how it's going to work. And by the way, I want to ask you some other questions here, but just real quick, I want to get this out here. Everybody should know. I mean, most listeners probably know, but it is denvercenter.org and you can go there and check the calendar and see the events, et cetera, et cetera. sounds like there's going to be things happening as long as you follow some of the, the policies that Janice and her team have put in place. Let's switch gears for a minute here. If there is an aspiring young executive, uh, female specifically, maybe that wants to be CEO, they look at you, they look at your profile like, Look at her. Look at her, man. How, by the way, how old are you, Janice? Can you tell I'm us? I'm 49. 49? Oh, my God. I never would have guessed that. Holy cow. Are you kidding me? Okay. For the audience, you should watch the YouTube. Make, make sure you check this interview out on YouTube, because if you look at Janice right now, you would not think 49. Trust me. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if there is somebody listening that wants to be like like Janice, like I want to be, I want to be a CEO, right? I want to, I want to move up in my career. I want to be an executive. What advice would you give them based on what you've learned? Yeah. So I go back to my collection, the people that have advised me and watched me. And again, I go back to Ralph Ravenschlag, my fifth grade teacher, saying, you'd make a great teacher, but I think there's something else. I couldn't have seen that in myself. And so listen to your mentors, help them um, be successful in guiding you because um, folks that have mentored you have points of view and experiences that you won't have had. And the same with Senator Allard, you know, he said, I don't need you to believe what I believe. I need you to know why you believe what you believe. And so I spent a lot of time being grounded and how does that make me feel? And why would I agree with that? Or why would I disagree with that? So I think it's spending a lot of time in yourself and thinking about what your own values are. And, um, and for me, as we've discussed, um, I have learned so much through my civic service. Through, by serving on boards, I meet so many people and I learn from them sometimes what I want to do, sometimes what I don't want to do. I mean, it's really great when you're sitting in a room and you watch folks and you're like, I I don't ever want to come across like that. And so I believe that exposure um, to a lot of different folks, it'll help fortify where your value base is, but it'll also dissuade you from how you don't want to show up in the world. And so for me, that's really important. Yeah. Great. Nice. Very good. A couple of, couple of wrap up questions here. I noticed that you're really careful on your social media, right? I tried to find where you were maybe going and maybe you said something or you're speaking out on the topic or whatever. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find anything. Uh, you're pretty, you're pretty, you're pretty careful with it. And I think that's on, pro- I, I got the feeling that that's, you know, intentional. Mm-hmm. intentional. Thank you. I was looking for the right word. Mm-hmm. What do you think about other executives of companies that feel the need to go on social media and say, mm-hmm. Hey, I, you know, I like this. I like that. And if, you know, if you don't agree with me, you're, you're insane or whatever, you know, what do you think about these, these executives taking sides and speaking out on social media and, and things like that? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I appreciate people that are passionate 
but I also think that there should be decorum. And so, you know, um, having been in the political sphere for much of my life and now being involved in a, an incredible community um, organization as a nonprofit, I feel that what I say should reflect the broadest sense of community. And so my I am not in this role because people are interested in necessarily my point of view on things. They're interested in my ability to be a convener and to build community and bring folks together. And so if I start speaking out on particular issues in my role and who I am in the world, I'll have a conversation with you privately. And I may share my point of view on um, very sensitive topics, but I don't think that that is my role as a CEO. And I think that folks that speak out, um, it follows you forever. And, and that's what we've learned is um, it's one thing to be careful. Um, it's another thing to be um, uh, um, verbose and put yourself out there. And you just don't know, um, you just don't know how it'll impact you as a human and your business, quite frankly. So I just err on the side of caution, you know, have those conversations privately and you can throw down and you can speak frankly and you can, <laughs> you know, the vitriol can happen privately. I just don't think that social media is the space for it. So. Okay. Great answer. I figured you were going to say something like that based on your <laughs> current behavior on social media. When you get to be mayor, are you can 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 you can you fix this this the tents and the homeless situation currently in Denver? Like I'll just be you know, and I and I don't want that to sound like I'm making a political statement or I'm blaming Democrats or Republicans or whatever, because I'm really not. But the last time I drove downtown, mm -hmm. I just I'll just tell you right now, like I'll just say this out loud for the listeners. I'm recording this by the way on the 21st of September 2021. Janice, the last time I drove downtown in Denver, I, I was embarrassed I was, I was embarrassed like like if my mom came from oklahoma to see me i i would not take her downtown right now right yeah so can any mayor or city council fix this um they can have a profound impact on the policy and the investment of funds but it's going to take everybody and i'm going to shift this just a little bit i think that um we have a opioid addiction problem and we have a mental health mm. issue in our community mm. and you know part of why i serve on the denver preschool program board is because i want to give every child in our community a chance at success and i think that we need to be this is a multi-generational issue. You know, when Mayor Hancock came in, he inherited a homeless crisis, you know, the unhoused and mental health and opioid addictions. So did John Hickenlooper when he was mayor and Wellington Webb before him. This, you know, our community has blossomed and grown and our issues are more prevalent than ever. And so I think that we need to put a lot of focus on our youth and trying to figure out the supports and the issues that are facing young people today so that we can hopefully catch them before they end up in a state where they are addicted to drugs and facing mental health challenges and ultimately are unhoused or facing homelessness. And so, um, so I don't have the solutions. Um, you know, I'm, I was thrilled to see that yesterday the Department of Treasury issued a very large grant. The first city in the country is coming to Denver to help invest in data tracking. 
what are the issues facing these folks, you mm. know, and how do you get them into housing solutions, but how do you also get them the mental health and opioid addiction services that they need? Because it isn't one or the other. It isn't housing first only. You can put somebody in a house, but that doesn't mean that their issues are going to be resolved. And you can't just simply address the mental health and opioid addictions. You also have to give them a safe space to heal. And so this is this is the challenge. Um, and it's a statewide, it's a nationwide issue. Um, and we're all gonna have to lean in, every non nonprofit, the faith community, our schools, you know, our um, mental health providers, like everybody's involved in this. It isn't the mayor and city council alone. It takes all of us. Great answer. I, I wanna tie that into something really quickly that just hit me personally. We, we, I have a family member that I won't name specifically, but there's a family member that is dealing with somebody th that has mental health mm -hmm. issues. Sure. He currently told me, he said, he said, uh, he said, yeah, she's, she's living in her car right now because she's bipolar and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And his big concern was trying to make sure she wasn't homeless. And I, and I said, well, just rent a little apartment or buy a little trailer, or, you know, do, do put her, you know, just put her in a condo or something, just rent a little place out that doesn't cost you much money and just let her stay there. And he said, and something that really opened my eyes a little bit to what that ties into what you're saying, you put somebody with mental health issues in a free housing facility or a free apartment, guess what? They're not going to stay there. They're, they're going to, they're going to figure out some way to blow that up somehow right they're gonna they're gonna see they're gonna see things in the house that scare them they're gonna have some sort of mental breakdown they're gonna leave they're not, they're not gonna say that um so so i do think i do agree and i'm not an expert on this topic by any means but i do agree that just putting them in a house it's not gonna that's not gonna solve the mental part they're gonna end up right back on the street doing crazy shit because they're ha having hallucinations or whatever so I, I do honestly believe that the mental health issue is a huge part of it. By the way, isn't there a stat, like what percentage of homeless people have mental health issues? Like there's something like 70% or something. It's great. And I, I don't know the okay. actual okay. statistics, but I would say most, I mean, you know, and the word I want to add to what you just said is, and we need to have a housing mm -hmm. solution for these folks and we need to have yeah. services. It isn't gotcha. one or the other. Mm -hmm. I think we have to figure out mm -hmm. both. You know, they okay. need to have a stable environment and we need to really be compassionate. But I would say there are also situationally homeless and that's the hard part too is, you know, COVID did no favors to anyone. Um, folks lost their jobs. Um, yeah. they, yep. um, and, and so I, I know that there are families and there are people that, um, you know, by no fault of their own have found themselves living in their car or, li yep. you know, couch surfing, living in a, a friend's um, living room and then living in a family member's and maybe ending up in a shelter or some short-term solution. And so it's, it's, it's everything. And any one of us, I mean, if you think about how many people live paycheck to paycheck, any oh, one yeah. of us oh, find absolutely. ourselves. Yes. And that's yes. also the reality of our, um, our environment. It's expensive to live in Denver. And, um, and if you lose your job um, or you find yourself ill, you could come down with cancer or break your back in an unforeseen accident. And all of a sudden your insurance runs out, you don't have income, and then you find yourself situationally homeless. And, and then it's a slippery slope because 
then you may end up with some type of mental health issue. And um, so I think that, um, you know, what, what I believe, and I'll speak um, my own truth, having worked for Mayor Hancock and with um, the elected members of city council, <clears throat> they are compassionate. And um, what we are trying to do is figure out solutions because it is unfair to have folks living on our streets um, without shelter and services and food and dignity, quite frankly. So I'm a big advocate of services and it's untenable during these times. I love how I talked to a rich person that lives over in Cherry Creek and mm -hmm. I'm having dinner with them and they're giving me the whole compassionate. And I care about it and this and this and this, and we need to help them. But as soon as somebody sets up a tent in their front yard over in Cherry Creek, they're, they're, they're not having any of it. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> the hard part of the haves and the have nots. <laughs> Where is the line? Yeah. Right. I know. That's another gray area. We see we, we started with gray and now we're ending with gray here. As we start the conversation. Uh, last, qu last question. If you had to define if you had to define Janice's core purpose in life and you had to put that into a sentence right now, how, how would you define that? What would that sound like? Give it to me. My purpose is to listen to all points of view and help folks find their sense of purpose on their own. I believe that um, community is what makes the world go around and that different points of view are uh, valued. And um, I want to honor almost everyone, not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just can't get there with, and that's okay too. But I, I think my purpose is to bring people together and, and try to make the world a better place. Janice, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. <laughs>